listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 85 of the Testudo Times Podcast, where we have all driven through giant thunderstorms in order to get back to record this show and sometimes driven not in the safest way possible. Thomas, uh, what would you do if you knew a podcast recording was coming and you were going to be late to it? What would you do in order to make it back on time? Why would I rush? I would I would be safe, and I would uh, just start it when I could. No, see, Thomas, this podcast is so important that we have to start recording it exactly at the time when we say we're going to record it. That's how important this podcast is. Don't let it... But we're not a... We're not a live show. We do this No, we're not. We're not. But I always like to think we're doing this live for the two people that actually care about it. But you have to be ready in case anything happens in this world. And with Maryland sports, there's always something happening. Even after we thought nothing was going to happen for a while, turns out a lot of stuff has happened. And we're, I, this is the first time ever in the history of this show. We've probably started with baseball news. They got eliminated in their regional by West Virginia, who beat them twice, which is highly unfortunate. But then they lost their coach. Yeah, so Jean che- uh, John Chef. Jean Chef? He's no, French John. now? Well, yes. Yes, of course. Um, so John Chef left for Virginia Tech. Uh, the contract details at Tech have come out. And, of course, he was, you know, he's gotten a super big pay raise. He made 250 grand this year at Maryland. He's making 400 grand next year at Tech, and he'll make 600 grand eventually. So, you know, a pretty obvious choice. He gets back to the ACC, which is a very good baseball conference. Tech is not really, you know, a great program at the moment, but neither was Maryland when Chef showed up. So uh, he should he should do some good things over there and, you know, I don't. Maryland doesn't have to compete against him close, so I, I'll be rooting for him, sure. Uh, and then rooting for an ACC team is that legal? Yeah, sure. Why not? Why I not? don't know. I I still have that you know feeling of angst towards other ACC teams. Not necessarily Virginia Tech because it's Virginia Tech, but still, it's weird. Anybody on a Maryland podcast saying I'm supporting an ACC team, even if slightly, is still weird. Well, I mean, in fairness, I am from Virginia, and so half of like my friends have gone to either Virginia or Virginia Tech. But you didn't. You made the right no. decision. No. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I did the right thing. Yes. Paid out so, of state tuition to do it, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I did too. Well, as the joke goes from one of the few Maryland comedy shows that was actually funny, I think it was Joel McHale who made the joke that Maryland students are basically New York and New Jersey kids who didn't go to Rutgers. That was true. Hey, we got a Rutgers joke in this podcast. How about that? So, getting back on topic slightly, uh, who is going to be Maryland's next baseball coach? It hasn't been officially announced, but we've written about it because it seems pretty obvious who is going to be replacing John Sheff. Yeah, I mean, every outlet has reported it except for the team itself. Uh, Rob Vaughn, who has been the hitting coach for a couple years, uh, was promoted to associate head coach this year. Um he was he was pretty much the obvious choice if they were going to hire someone in house, and it made sense to do that. They're they're really on kind of an upswing, um, you know. Obviously, after missing the tournament for forty years in a row, they've made it three times in five, uh, four years. 
And so you, you know, they're recruiting well. So you want to keep the recruits around. Rob Vaughn's played a big part of that. Um, just a lot of people in the game really seem to like him. I haven't talked to him a bunch myself, but um, yeah, a lot, a lot of folks in the game like him. And you know, he's only 29, so he could be theoretically Jesus, really. For a long time. Yeah, I mean, he was drafted in 2009 out of Kansas State, I believe. That's crazy. And, yeah, I mean, and so he didn't play long in the Myers before, you know, he decided to go back and be a grad assistant. That's nuts. At 29-year-old coaches, I mean, that's what? That's going to be five years older than me? That's just bonkers in my own mind. Uh, and, by the way, we should also mention, of course, Merrily Maryland players were selected in the later rounds of the MLB draft because the MLB draft is so long and so ridiculous and so ungainly. I was hard to keep track of some of them, but Thomas, if you'd go over some of the notables and where they ended up and whether they're going to come back next year or go for the money. Yeah. Well, so Kevin Smith is gone for sure. He was drafted in the fourth round by the blue Jays. Uh, he's gone. He's off to Canada or wherever their rookie ball is. Um, Eden. Somewhere in Florida. Somewhere. Um, Brian Schaefer, I'm actually going to look up right now to see if he signed. I don't think he has yet. Ryan Selmer has signed. Uh, He was a 31st round pick. Um, 31 rounds of draft. I can't imagine There's 40 total. I know, I know. It's still crazy. I, I just wonder what it's like to be a GM in those very late rounds. You know, because the third day is rounds 11 through 40. Mm-hmm. And so just what what's it like being a GM and watching names just fly off your board and having a board that big? I have no idea. I can't imagine. I mean, I, I think it's hard to keep track of all the players in the NFL and the NHL, and those drafts are seven rounds. So, mm-hmm. so anybody else notable that was drafted and any decisions uh, that are upcoming? So, so Marty Costas was a 25th round pick. So he will probably come back. He was a draft-eligible sophomore. He has still a couple years of eligibility left. And the reason a lot of juniors will leave is because they lose a lot of leverage um, if they sign as seniors because they would have nowhere else to go. So that's why they draft juniors, and then they sign, and then then they leave. So, So Costas will have that. I think he'll make a lot more money next year. He has them. I don't think he's officially made his decision yet. There's also a couple of Maryland commits for 2017 that were drafted very late. I don't think any of them will go because they were all drafted pretty late, but that remains to be seen. I think with, with Vaughn as the head coach, they will probably all stay. Which is a pretty good thing for a program that's on the upswing. And isn't it amazing that considering the history of Maryland basketball and Maryland baseball, that there are more Maryland baseball players drafted in recent years than basketball players. And I know the basketball draft is a lot smaller, but consider the history of these two programs, especially considering Maryland baseball missed the tournament 40 years in a row, which is insane. Miami made it like 40 years in a row or something crazy like that. I, but it's such a, of, I know. It's, just, it's such a strange comparison to make because of how big the draft pools are. I think if you go, because there was a year where, you know, a third of, Maryland's players were NBA draft, you know, possible, and three of them ended up going. Mm-hmm. Four of them. So, 
mean, that's, that's a third it, of the they roster. They are different. They are different, but imagine, yeah, it's just so different. I don't even know. But imagine again the idea that Maryland is having a bunch of players drafted in baseball, but its biggest basketball star in years might not get end up getting drafted. Yeah, sure. That's, so that's about that. So, so let's go that. into that first, and then we're going to spend a lot of time on recruiting. There's a lot of recruiting things that have happened in the past couple of days and weeks, both football and basketball related, but we will get to that shortly. We are recording this the night before the NBA draft, and we feel pretty safe in saying that neither Melo Trimble or DeMonte Dowd are going to get drafted, which is kind of weird. Again, Melo Trimble not getting drafted after the hype he came with into a couple seasons ago. Seems pretty nuts, but anyway, I digress. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's worked out with teams, and I think I would be surprised if any of them used a late second-round pick on him. Most teams that have those picks uh, will use them on um, kind of international players that they can sort of store overseas, and then they'll sign, you know, the the college players to to summer deals or something. So that's that's probably what I was going to end up doing. And you know, I have no idea who if any one team is more interested than anyone else, um, you know, we'll, we'll find that out over the course of it. Uh, it was, it was surprising to hear that DeMonte got to work out with Philadelphia. Who has oh, it's not surprising that anything the Sixers do, let's be honest. They trust the process, but the process is a bit flawed. I hope DeMonte died as part of the process. I really hope so too. Not just because I am good friends with the Sixers announcer and hearing him call DeMonte Dodd's name would be like music to my ears, but also because I could just go after all of the fans I know of the Sixers and have them explain and have to explain to them what DeMonte Dodd is, which would be the most amazing thing in the world. Also, DeMonte Dodd and Joel Embiid in the same place would be (laughs) incredible. The social media stuff that you would see would be legendary. Oh, for sure. Uh, so now I am totally on board with DeMonte Dodd getting drafted by the Sixers. I mean, Which even if not drafted. I know. Even if he gets signed by them, it would still be... A, but how weird would that be? Just if It might be a long shot, but if DeMonte Dodd gets drafted and Melo Trimble doesn't, how then bizarre I, then would that be? Then I think we have to retire the site. I think that's what we have to do. I think I'm not we sure. might all be out of, out of a job. Yeah. It, it would stink, but, man, would that be weird or what? Yeah, that would be, that'd be something. But, but either way, they'll both probably get, get looks in the summer league. And, you know, I mean, we'll be keeping tabs on them for sure. It, I'm, I'm very interested to see how this shakes out and, you know, what they end up doing next. I, of course, we're going to track them during the summer because what else are we going to do during the summer? What else do we have well, to talk gonna about? about? We're going to write about every football player. I know. You've already tried to. So, would you like we're to do basketball that. recruiting or football recruiting first? Because there's been big news in both camps. Well, we're, we're on basketball. Basketball okay, happened. so let's do basketball. basketball. That happened right after we did our last podcast. Yeah, so, so it we did feels that like week, old news. But we should yeah, still it talk is, about really. it because it's the first recruit for 2018, which is a very, very important recruiting class for Mark Turgeon. So Aaron Wiggins, who is in no way related to Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, that's uh, the first thing I thought when I saw that name. But I don't think Aaron Wiggins is Canadian. No, no, he's from Charlotte. Yeah, that's uh, not Canadian. But he is. He's a shooting guard. Um, 
you know, he's a four-star prospect, real promising. Um, Maryland's in the hunt for a lot of guys, this class. A lot of guys are from Maryland. A lot of guys have connections with current Maryland players and commits. Um, one of Bruno Fernando's best friends, Silvio D'Souza, is, you know, a top 20 or so player in the class, and Maryland's really high on his list. Uh, Jalen Smith, a uh, former high school teammate of Daryl Morcel, who's signed for Maryland, also has Maryland high. Just a bunch of guys like that who, you know, you, you definitely don't get all of them. That's just not how recruiting works. But, uh, you know, they're they're in the hunt for a lot of them. And Wiggins is a start for sure. I forget how many slots they're going to have open next year. It's a pretty big number because I think they end up going into this year with two, if I'm correct. If this year I'm with doing, two. And then but, next year, at the very least, they're going to have, what, four with just seniors? And then the potential yeah, that so. Jackson, Cowan, or Herder, or any number well, of those so, could leave. Yeah, so I think um, – I'm not looking at it right now, but Sean Obi comes off the books, I think, unless he magically gets another year. Um, and then Jared Nickens and Michael Tchaikovsky are seniors. Okay, so that would make five at the very so that would least. make five. And a five-player recruiting class of, you know, blue chippers would be exactly what, you know, exactly what you want. So. And this also assumes that none of – Herder, Jackson, or Cowan leave next year, and it's a possibility, and a pretty decent possibility at that, that at least one of them leaves. So yeah, they well, could have the potential for a huge recruiting class next year. Yes, and and the point with Wiggins is that he is a start. They, they've they missed on a couple of uh, pretty high targets already. Prentice Hub, who goes to Gonzaga um, in, in D.C., was was expected to be a Maryland guy for a long time, but uh, committed to Notre Dame. And Brandon Slater is, I believe, he's off to Villanova. So, um, so they missed off on those guys. And Wiggins is not not really a consolation. He's a really solid prospect. So, good stuff. It's a good start for. Coach Turgeon in 2018, which is, we'll say a lot, is an incredibly important recruiting class considering how big it could be and how many blue chip prospects Maryland could end up getting. So let us shift to football-related signings, and there are a lot of them to get to. And the big one happened most recently. Well, no, there there have been three since then. Yeah. Two since. But... But so the, the three guys from this last week, uh, Jalen Duncan, um, who's from St. Francis, he's a really high four-star recruit, um, about as good as anyone Maryland got last year, except maybe Anthony McFarland. And, you know, he's a top 200 player in the class. He's, he's the 6'6", 300-pound monster offensive tackle. Um he he's really exciting, and he he's interesting because he goes to St. Francis, which um, has a lot of talented players. Has a couple of Maryland's really high, you know, highest targets, uh, including uh, defensive end Iabi Anoma, who St. Francis traditionally does not send its players to Maryland, um, but you know, 
and actually Duncan did not play there originally. You know, he hasn't played there yet. He's from Owings Mill, and so for St. Francis in Baltimore. So he actually hasn't played there yet, but if he's at the start of a pipeline, that's definitely a good thing. Mm-hmm. And even if he isn't, he's a great pickup otherwise. He is um, the second highest rated recruit according to 24-7 in, in Maryland's yes. class right now, and he is, what, the seventh best player in the state? Something like that. According to 24-7, and they're pretty reliable when it comes to this sort of information. Yeah, about as much as anyone, because, I mean, that's the composite, which just has the most, it has the most into account. Mm-hmm. My favorite is uh, the recent one, Brian Cobbs, the wide receiver. When he committed, he was a two-star who was like a 76 on that thing. And so we published that. And then a few minutes later, he's a three-star with an 83 rating. <laughs> That's it's, so weird. Yeah, I mean, and and Jared was, you know, he he'd wrote already that, you know, Cobbs had been outperforming that two-star rating, you know, on this, you know, at summer camps and stuff. So a ratings boost should come, and it came right after he committed. Yeah. So so anyway, this stuff is all just really weird, and I guess this, yeah. And but this does show you, you know, how how silly it is sometimes that we, you know, that we look at it so seriously. But but either way, you know, both of those guys and also Raymond Boone, the safety, Mm -hmm. um, all of them are from the DMV. So. I think now nine of Maryland's 11 commits are from the area. Yep. One which, from Atlanta, yep, and another from Millville, New Jersey, oddly enough. Or Vineland, yeah. one of the two. They're the same place, basically. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a very, very local class. Um, and this week has been just a emphasis on that. So how many more spots did they have open i mean they have 11 commits already in last year's class was gigantic because they had set up and orchestrated everything to be so so this class is going to shape up i think around 19 or 20 if i'm right yes maybe as low as 17 or 18 but in that in that range for sure um and you know we're already at 11 i think so 11 yeah, and, and two months ago, they were at zero. So, I mean, this has taken shape pretty quickly. And I think at this point, you know, you're already in the stage of just, you know, focus on your top targets at this point. And also according to 24-7, Maryland's class, 11 recruits already, recruited commits, I should say. It's already 23rd. And again, this is Maryland football we're talking about, which is bonkers. Yeah, that's ahead of To have two top 20 recruiting classes in a row is insane. For sure. Um, and and in, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out this winter because there is a December signing period. Mm-hmm. And and in, in talking to a couple of recruits that I've talked to, the, is that, you know, about half of them, I think, from last last year's class probably would have signed early. So I have no idea what that means for this class and how and if how much more quickly it'll take shape, but it is something to keep in mind that um you know Maryland's got a lot of real solid players committed, and there's a little bit of l- less of a wait before you know they're officially on board absolutely um 
Those are the football commits, those for 2018. We also started the preview list for 2017, and the folks at the site have done a very good job of going through every position group already. I think we're on wide receivers now. We are indeed. You did quarterbacks and running backs. Ladarian Wilson left after you did that list for running I'm, backs. Which I'm was just going to pretend he he read it and decided. He read the like, 2017 <laughs> prospectus and was like, you know what? I can do better. He probably could. But that, would that would be, be so amazing sad. to think if that actually was the impetus for him leaving. But that would again, be so I don't think sad. it's. I mean, it sucks that Maryland loses a player like that in June, but they have so many running backs that it's probably not that big of a concern, all things considered. Yeah, I think what it means is that now it's kind of just a toss-up whether or not one of the freshman um, red shirts. I thought with Wilson it was more likely than not that one of them would, but now they're up to six. They're down to six scholarship running backs, and that's that was the extent of their rotation last year. So with the same number, um, I don't know how much more they're planning to give to uh, Ty Johnson, Lorenzo Harrison. You would think it would be more because both of them have kind of established themselves. Yeah. Really. Solid players, but I think that and Jaquil Bay is technically experienced if you consider him a running back. Well, I mean, he's he's playing wide receiver now, but he does have for sure a, you know, that is a a weapon he has. Yes. So let's go over. I think just briefly some of the things that you guys have written about with the quarterbacks and the running backs and wide receivers that you haven't already gotten into on the site. Uh, is there anything in the quarterback battle, so to speak, that you found out when you were doing more of those writings that you we haven't talked about on this show already because we have beaten the quarterback situation to death, and I'm wondering if there's anything new left in it that we haven't talked about yet. I mean, I don't think we've talked about on this podcast that Caleb Henderson broke his foot. We did. I don't think we said that, but a Maryland quarterback well, he, being it, injured, I it think wasn't, that's implied. Yeah. Well, he injured himself the week of the spring game, and he kind of just tweeted later to some to someone that it was, yeah, no, I broke my foot. But but I guess if you had to, to break your foot, that's when you would do it because he'll be back for camp. Yeah. So, so, so at the that, moment, so at the moment, you know, there's I've seen reports swirling that Tyrell Pigram is the favorite right now, or at least the leader, but that's because Caleb Henderson's hurt. And so, you know, I, I think we're still a long way. I mean, Walt Bell told me in April, like, you have as a decision maker, you know, you take advantage of the time you have. And he said, I have until midnight the night before we play Texas. <laughs> that's a long time to go. And at this point, there's a bit, I wouldn't say undecided, there's plenty undecided, but it's not like there's one guy who is the shining star and then there's everybody else. With Maryland, it's wide open, and that's going to be the case with the quarterbacks. Again, up until midnight the night before they play Texas. Uh, what about running backs? We just talked about it briefly a bit. Uh, when you go down the depth chart, you know Ty Johnson and Lorenzo Harrison are going to be huge parts of Maryland's offense this year. But beyond that, what else did you find out about a pretty deep group that Maryland has, despite only technically having six on scholarship. Yeah, well, with um, I actually really liked Ladarian Wilson, and I thought with with Kenny Goins out, you know, you you do want a guy who could run between the tackles, and you know, I, I felt I thought that Wilson could have really excelled in that, you know, in kind of a short yardage situation, not even a fullback, just more of a power back. But 
Um, I think that perhaps one of the other freshmen, uh, Javon Leak, Payon Fleet Davis, one of them can probably do it. Um, Anthony McFarland should obviously um, be a factor somehow. Well, I think he's um, going to be a factor everywhere. They're going to use yeah. him in all kinds of different ways, whether that's as a receiver, whether that's as a running back on special teams. They're just going to find ways to put him on the field. Yeah, and they've and they've said as much. And you know, I, I really at this point can't even speculate how they'll use him because I haven't seen much of what they do. He, you know, he just recently got on campus, but but yeah, no, he should. He'll be he'll be a, he'll be part of it. I guess, as you were saying, the only thing that becomes a slight issue is they don't have any pounders. And I guess they have a lot of running backs that are really talented in space. They have great burst. They have great explosiveness. But then I guess it could be a problem that all of them are kind of samey. And I get your point, as you were saying, you kind of want somebody who can run between the tackles and get you the two yards you need on third and two, for example. And Maryland might not exactly have that. Well, I think they they will. I mean, you know, Johnson is, you know, he 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 gained twenty pounds from his freshman to sophomore year, I think, and so he'll, he's probably still doing that. You know, he's he's trying to become more of a complete running back, I think, and that'll that'll help him as he tries to go to the next level. Um, so I think all of the guys can do that, but I don't think there are any specialists at you know at short yardage. Which, yeah, not like Kenny Goins from last year or. Mm-hmm. West Brown in past years, for example, they had had bruisers to go along with more speed guys, I guess you could say, and they don't exactly have that this year, but whether it matters or not, we'll see how Walt Bell runs his offense. Last year, he kind of used it more than we all thought he was going to, uh, because that's just who Maryland had. I think you'll get the sense that he might change it up a bit this year and have more fun because of all the weapons he has at his disposal in the backfield, yes? Oh, yes. He'll, he'll keep trying. He'll keep trying. Uh, go to wide receivers now. And for a while, this was one of the deepest groups on the team. It's not quite as deep now. Uh, there's been a lot of attrition at these positions, but there's still plenty of talent there, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's DJ Moore and then 10 question marks. marks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, but like with a space, because it's DJ Moore and then question marks, not like DJ Moore question mark. Like, I don't. Like no, DJ, DJ Moore, Moore is a sure thing. Yeah, he's a he's a sure thing. Yes, um, he made a big leap from freshman to sophomore year, as pretty much everyone predicted. He should make another one, um, especially if whoever plays quarterback this year, you know, can stretch the field a little more. Um, I, I obviously expect big things from him, and then who knows after that if if Tavon Jacobs is healthy, uh, if Jaquiel Vey, I don't I don't know where he's at, but. If he's actually a yeah. wide receiver? No, he'll be a wide receiver. I, I still can't think of him as anything other than a running back, forgive me. Well, you'll you'll learn eventually. I, I'll have to, I guess. Uh, and then DJ Turner. You know, we don't know exactly what to expect from him. Um, he looked good in the spring game. And that's it's tough to make really anything on that. Really, the, the gist that I've gotten in all of these, you know, summer things is there's reason for optimism at all these positions, but we won't really know anything for a while. I don't so, think we'll know much until after the game against, I guess, Towson. Like you need a couple games to figure out like where players fit in, how they're going to be used. And especially 
because of Walfell's offense and then just how many players at the skill positions are new, it's going to take a long time to learn that. And I guess in some ways it's good that they get a baptism by fire at Texas. I mean, you can't get much more of a better out-of-conference game than that. But it's going to take them a while to figure it out. And at least then before Big Ten play, they've got three out-of-conference games and a bye before then to do it. Mm. Yeah. And UCF, I mean, that, that'll that be an interesting game. And I think that's after that is when I'll really kind of know what I'm looking at, I think. That happens with every team because of how much change you find in college uh, football every year. But the way it shapes up for Maryland, it's pretty interesting because mm-hmm. of their out-of-conference schedule. So give us a little taster of what you can expect from later previews before we tie up some loose ends. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll we'll keep working our way around. I mean, we, you know, we'll go to the offensive line soon and switch to defense and you know, go defensive line, linebackers, secondary. Um, I don't so know exactly how much groups, we'll split it up. Of those groups, the best group on of all the ones you just mentioned has to be the offensive line, yeah? I mean, Oh, for sure. It, it, it's insane how well they've recruited it for years, and you see it in 2018. But whoever's the quarterback is going to get decent protection, you would think. Yeah, you'd think. It's, it's more... You know, they, they did pretty well run blocking last year. They didn't do a great job pass blocking. So well, how much of that was Perry Hills and how much of that was actually bad pass blocking? It's kind of hard to tell. I mean, you know, I mean, every offensive lineman I talk to, they'll they'll take the blame for it. Of but, course they will. Yeah, and so they'll they'll work on that. That's that's what they've had all these months to do. So, yeah, I'm I'm definitely more optimistic about that than I am because every position on the defense. You know, just has a lot of question marks, really. Maryland's going to be winning games 42 to 35 this year? Maybe. I'll be, well, it won't be much fun, but it'll be at least different. I mean, there's there's a, there's a handful of good players. I just don't know if any position groups really stand out the way, you know, like the running backs do. And the offensive line. Yeah. So, a couple of other loose ends. Big 10 ACC Challenge was uh, released a couple of weeks ago. It feels ridiculous. And Maryland's game is, again, not against Duke, who, you know, because Mike Krzyzewski's a crybaby, uh, at Syracuse. Yeah. Another one of Maryland's be... big rivals from the past. Yeah, I think that's 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 really the only disappointing thing about it. I mean, for me, my college decision was down to Maryland-Syracuse. So I I'll, I'll enjoy that. Who are go- who went to Maryland and do what we do work between something like Maryland and Syracuse? Yeah, I know a handful of folks at Syracuse that were down oh, to Maryland. I know plenty. I know plenty of people the same yeah. way. It's yeah, the Jason so, Bowl that no one wants to acknowledge because everyone thinks it's Syracuse and Northwestern. No, it's Maryland Northwestern. That because, well, yes, because that the names true. are so similar. The well, names are just the, so well, similar. That's the Blackstone Bowl, which we're going to get for the first time in football this year. Fun. I know. But I'm trying to think if there was anything else, because that was the biggest basketball scheduling piece of news that we saw. Don't Unless we didn't talk about else. Butler. We did talk about Butler, because that had happened. Who has since definitely lost their coach. They have definitely lost their coach, so that game is a tiny bit less interesting than it was. But it's still not a bad out-of-conference test, at least from the games that we've seen. I mean, they're at Stony Brook at the newly renovated Nassau Mausoleum. They've got St. Bonaventure in that Niceville, Florida tournament. They're home against Butler. They're at Syracuse. And then you add They're hosting Gardner-Webb. Oh, that's interesting. I don't even yeah. know what Gardner-Webb's conference is. 
Nor do I, but I don't know if it, I don't know if Gardner's going to show up. I don't know if Webb's going to show up. I'm, oh, I'm really... that's that's pretty poor there, Thomas. Uh, so I mean, at least just on the stand of it, on just the face of it, their out of conference schedule looks to be better than it was last year. Uh, perhaps. You know, well, there's who were the best team they played last year out of conference? Pitt. The best teams were Pitt, Kansas State, and Georgetown. Okay, it was Kansas State by a lot. Yeah, and I'd say that Butler is a Sweet 16 but, oh, team last year, sure even though they lost their coach, oh. is better. And yeah. Syracuse is still a fringe tournament team, and two years ago they made the Final Four, so it's not like they're slouching by any means. Well, they made the Final Four as a 10 seed. Do we celebrate that as being a really good season? I don't know. I, I celebrate that as a fluke, but, you know, they still made the Final Four I, a couple of years I still, ago. I just don't know how to deal with, like, you know, do you look at that as a good season if a team is kind of just okay but then goes on a run like that? What about George Mason in 2006? That was one of the weirdest things because I live 10 minutes from Mason. And, yeah. And so it was, the whole area was just into it. I can bet that. Is there I anything even, else that we missed? I'm trying to think I don't really think anything. so. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the dead yeah. time and we got to got to everything. Oh, uh, probably was something... Maryland related that I but we've forgotten. If we did, please let us know, and we'll try to make sure we get to it on the next podcast, whenever that is. Yeah, probably in August or something. <laughs> no, 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 no. We'll do something sooner than that. Although it does give me something to mention. Uh, hopefully, you've been listening to some of the special little interviews that Thomas and company have been doing with uh, former Maryland athletes. The most recent of which is Danny O'Brien, who is still in the CFL, which is amazing to me. Uh, the yeah, CFL I mean, season he's, starts soon. Yeah, starts in a few weeks. Uh, Not just a few weeks, it their... starts tomorrow or today oh, when you're listening okay. to this. Yeah. That. I don't know what team he's on, but I know the CFL he... season starts soon. Well, if you read the article, you would know what, what well, team I, he's on. Well, I mean, I, I might have read it and then forgot because it's the CFL. Mm-hmm. I know who the teams are. I don't necessarily know where the players are. I know Vince Young was what? With the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and then blew out his knee or something like that. But anyway, I completely tell everybody, forgot Vince Young was in the CFL. Well, he was. He's not going to be now. But uh, tell, <laughs> tell everybody what team Danny O'Brien's on because he's been around well, it for so a while. Yeah. So he just won the Grey Cup with the Ottawa Red Blacks. That's true. And then he uh, he signed this offseason with the Edmonton Eskimos. Ah, so actually, okay. he and Jordan Lynch. from Remember Jordan Lynch from Northern Illinois? I do remember Jordan Lynch a little bit. So, Wasn't he the yeah. guy who led them to the Orange Bowl? Yes. Ah, very good. Now so I he is the third stringer behind Danny O'Brien and Mike Riley. Oh, uh, okay. Well, because football's like, you know, that's how quarterbacks just collide, you know? Some of the, I mean, at one point, one of my favorite CFL quarterbacks ever, do you remember Jeremiah Masoli from Oregon? Oh, yeah. He was in the CFL at some point. He might still be in the CFL. I don't know if he still is or not, but there are some great, like, you remember them briefly from their careers in college that ended up making the CFL and then being good in the CFL, and it's a lot of fun to remember some of those names. Mm. The the other Maryland, famous Maryland uh, alum from the CFL was Scott Milanovic, but he's now with my football team in Jacksonville, so he was with the Toronto Argonauts, and he's now in the, with the Jaguars, so... That was the other Maryland CFL connection that has now changed. It's now a Jaguars-Maryland connection, and there are two of those, which makes me happy because there's not much else to be happy about the Jaguars with. 
But anyway, we will hopefully have more of those on the way for you in the future to go through this basically dead time with Maryland sports until August. But we could probably throw in a few podcasts together between now and then, yeah? Of course. We'll try to at the very least. Enjoy your summer, everybody. We will try to be back with a podcast sooner rather than later, if not a podcast like this. We'll have definitely some interviews for you before football practices start in the beginning of August. But until then, go Terps!